Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, I'm Helen. And I'm Stephen. And welcome to this week's New Statesman podcast. In a special episode... We look ahead to the local and European elections with a new Shikalian. I talk about my trip to Wales. Anoush talks about her trip to Hartlepool. And we answer, what can we do now that there's no parliament for a week? Hello and welcome to a special recess week version of the New Statesman podcast. We're recording this on Monday and we have lured into the podcast bunker a new Chicadian. Hello. Hello. I want to start with you though, Stephen, because your column in the magazine this week is about Wales, land of my fathers. And you went to meet, I'm going to get his name wrong, aren't I? Adam Price, yep. who is the new leader of Plaid Cymru, installed in September. He's 50. You start off by saying that he's a little bit like Tony Blair, which is obviously very exciting for me. Explain that to me. Well, so the weird irony is this is someone who, when he was cutting his teeth as a, an MP in Westminster, was a real kind of uh, thorn in the side of, of the then new Labour government. He, he fairly successfully prosecuted the argument that they they were uh, too close to Lakshmi Mittal, something which they, of course, denied. But, you know, it was a story which went on for, for some time. He, he tried and failed to impeach Tony Blair over the Iraq war. But the, the reason why, weirdly, meeting him, I was overwhelmingly reminded of Blair is one, the kind of, you know, the physical, you know, like the blue eyes. Did he give you the high The Stephen? open shirt, yeah. the... Um, being open, the kind of the same style. You know, when we we went around, very you know, so we we met first at uh, Coffee Co in Cardiff Bay, which is a really lovely mini chain where they, I had a delicious vegan pie. But um, when we were going around on the rest of the visit, that thing when people meet. Blair, it's like they do that kind of sunflower thing where they kind of incline towards his... You kind of see him this is his tan. doing the same kind of, you know, kind yeah. of that sort of conveying of, of warmth. So he's got charisma and he says a lot of things about modernisation. Modern and changing the party so it can win and breaking it out of its... Because obviously Plaid Cymru have had the, both the advantage than... I think they're basically the only party in this country not called Labour or the Conservatives who you could say have a genuine core, but... I, you know, areas in which Welsh is spoken as a first language uh, a lot, but they also have, a, have had a problem, particularly at Westminster elections, of breaking out of that. And he is trying to embark on this project that, as with Blair, of getting his party to win in places it had, in the case of Plaid Cymru, never won before. So let me get this right. So Welsh Assembly is elected by De Haunt, the best, as we know. No, so it's elected by the additional member system. Additional member system, yeah. not De Haunt. That's the European elections. But yeah. there are 60 AMs. The next election is in 2021. Yeah. 
currently there are 10 Plaid AMs, 12 Conservatives, and plus including Mark Reckless, who sits as an independent Conservative, which is, he was way ahead of Nick Bowles on that one. And let me see, what, 29 Labour? Is that right? They're just under half, right? So what you say in the column is that there is a chance next time that if Plaid make a sufficiently big gain, they could be part of a coalition that for the first time doesn't involve Labour. And Labour's lock on Wales is like my lock on all the mini eggs in my local Tesco, it is utterly impossible to get it off. Yeah, I mean, so... Yeah. So it would be a big deal if they made a, a big gain and Labour wasn't, a, you know, in a government in, in the Welsh Assembly, right? It would. So, I mean, uh, so according to the polls now, which are widely believed by... Well, obviously, Pied Cymru loves to tell you and they think the those polls are, are real for obvious reasons. Because they're doing well in them, uh, yeah. And uh, everyone else will kind of go, well, you know, polls are polls. And then they'll kind of look at you and go like, yeah, but they feel about right to me. And they show Labour still ahead, still the largest party, but short of... So essentially, no one has won a majority yet because the system is designed to frustrate that. Obviously, as the SNP in uh, no, 2011 showed, yep. you, you can, if you're very lucky with where your vote spread is, break that, but it's very difficult to pull off. But crucially, at every election, although they... So at the moment, they have a coalition with Kirsty Williams, the sole Liberal Democrat uh, member of the Welsh Assembly. They have always had to... They've always been in a situation where, yes, they've needed a coalition partner, but there is no way to form a government without them. At present, if the polls are, be, are to be believed, they would, if there were an election held tomorrow, be they would not be an essential part of a coalition. Mm-hmm. Another government could uh, be formed. So you could, do you think they would go into a coalition with the Conservatives? Oh, so actually this is the... So there's the thing he's said to me, which I think is the first time he's explicitly said this, is he is not looking to go into coalition with either. He is seeking a minority government. He doesn't believe that either of the it's unionist not, parties... It's not in the peace, Stephen. Just going to put that out there. I'm going to do a piece online about it. Right, as well. okay. Well, right. actually, in many ways, it's a podcast exclusive. A podcast exclusive. <laughs> uh, he said, um, he had said, uh, yeah. He wants to go minority administration. A minority administration, because, yeah, the two unionist parties, you know, he said, is, are in different ways responsible for the present state of Wales. I liked his line about he's, Wales is stuck in an oasis of stasis. Yeah, well, I mean... Uh, like a blur of her. I just, it was just a, a great line. Well, I mean, this, this is like the, the really fascinating thing, right? That you have in Wales, in a time in which the whole of Europe has seen political earthquakes, transformations, changes, you have this kind of quite centralising social democratic government still just plugging away, just just there, which has not had that same kind of... Now, that's partly, of course, because of their historic dominance and the fact that what they have mostly been quite effective at doing is stealing the clothes of their This is Welsh Labour, right? Yeah. Who, so, lay, in the last... In 2017, was it the same as in 2015 that a different party won in each of the four nations? Yeah, yeah. so Northern Ireland, DUP got most MPs, Scotland, SNP got most MPs. Wales was Labour, England was Conservative. Yeah. Okay, that's exciting. And then they've they've had, that's been the case. I think you put it since the dawn of universal suffrage. Yeah, I mean this thing is a lot of people kind of compare Wales and Scotland as as heartlands or Wales and London and as Labour heartlands. Right? They they really just are not hmm. remotely comparable. Right? You're like they have they, they have never lost a European election. They have been the largest party in local government. Basically, well, there was a time, wasn't there, where Winston Churchill was MP for Dundee? I mean, which kind of yeah, I mean, this, this, can't really imagine this, happening in Merthyr Tydfil. But also, yeah, there there are people in living memory who can, who, you know, who were alive who can remember the Scottish Conservatives being the largest party in terms of votes and seats. Right, that is just nothing comparable. And the other kind of fascinating and fun thing about Welsh politics is that 
there isn't even really that long an interim period when the Liberal Party is dying and the Le- Welsh Labour Party is growing. They almost essentially overnight go from being very dominant Liberal Party, very dominant Labour Party. So it is a huge challenge than than they have taken on. You know, is not his priority is not kind of you know well let's just be a kind of like you know left coalition partner or challenger to the Welsh Labour Party. Let's try and replace it. One of the other questions I asked him was: so in 1999, the SNP and, and Plaid Cymru did Plaid Cymru did a bit better than the SNP in terms of a vote share. This is not going to come as shock to any of our listeners. The SNP are now doing rather better than Plaid Cymru, up until the point that he has got a former SNP MP to do a report on where, and I was just So like, Angus Robinson is doing a kind of, the same thing I guess, is he doing the same thing that kind of Bob Kerslake is doing for Labour and that he's just looking at the structure and governance and like, how do you run a modern Yeah, and how do, how do you make the case for independence and, and how do you succeed as this type of, of party? And I basically went, well, why is it that, you know, starting from 99 as this point, they're uh, a hegemonic government and you're asking for advice for a guy who lost his seat in the 2017 election. I obviously phrased wow, it in a more yeah. charming it's way than that. interview um, technique you've got there. No, I mean, my interview technique, particularly because he is very charismatic, so I actually had the, that horrible soul-destroying thing. You know when you listen back to it and you can hear yourself going, mm, mm, and you're like, oh, God, you're yeah, such Yeah, I mean, I have to say that putting you with a Welsh Tony Blair, I mean, that's a lovely accent. You, I could, you know... Yeah, I mean... Education, education, education. <laughs> it's just, I can be, yeah, bowled over. Um, Anushi, what also been on the road yes yeah no I actually what Stephen was saying really chimed with some stuff that um, I've been picking up on the road we've been doing local elections reporting ahead of the councils that are up for election in May at the beginning of May and I was in Maidenhead on Friday which is Theresa May's constituency very safe conservative constituency and conservative council as well there's no Labour councillor on that voted remain yeah remain by not a huge margin but yeah so I was I was reporting there and what was really interesting is that I could not find aside from the conservative councillor that I interviewed anyone who was going to who said confidently that they wanted to vote conservative which was obviously it's not it's not a scientific exploration just vox popping anyone who will speak to you but I thought that was quite interesting I predict from my reporting there that the vote will probably drop for for the conservatives there not that there's any sort of true opposition that could that could rise up to truly challenge them there but the reason for that was because everyone i spoke to was saying i'm just minded to vote for someone said to me i'm just going to make a really random choice that's what i want to do i'm just going to do something completely unpredictable with my vote and i was like okay you know that makes sense with what what people are saying about the upcoming European elections, the fact that it could be like a big boost for the smaller parties, particularly the Brexit party, but I'm sure that's probably a bit overblown. Um, but people are thinking about voting for unexpected outcomes um, in whatever elections are coming up, basically, and a lot of people were mixing the two up too. Okay, so I got a lot of responses from people saying, I'm going to vote for that Nigel Farage's new party, and I, you know... I was like, okay, but what about the, you know, you can't vote for them here in the local elections. Oh, right, yeah. You know? yeah okay. So people were mixing it up, but I think in a way that tells you quite a lot. Well, so Stephen, I've got a, a question about the Brexit party. So the last polling that I saw su- suggested that UKIP, now led by Gerald Batten, who was wearing the most golf club tie I've ever seen <laughs> when I was sitting next to him on the uh, Andrew Marr programme, has got Sargon of a cad. He's basically got a load of like edge, internet mm. edgelords um, uh, to kind of sit for his party. So that's UKIP now. It's mm. I mean, it's now too right-wing for Nigel Farage versus Nigel Farage's Brexit party. If Nigel Farage's Brexit party does quite well, and the polling I saw is still splitting UKIP's old 14%, like 7-7, mm. 
Does that prove that Nigel Farage has got a personal vote? <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Well, I mean, so he's a leader, so a leader does have a... So, I mean, all politicians ah. have a degree of personal vote. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is not what you said when we were talking about Douglas Carswell. No, but so Douglas Carswell, there will be some people <laughs> in Clacton who, who, will, who will vote for Douglas Carswell. They just won't be a significant number of people. And the thing is, when you look at Douglas Carswell's electoral performance... Are you performance talking about Douglas Carswell? <laughs> compared to... Well, I mean, Douglas Carswell doesn't live in Clacton. <laughs> God, why would he want to do a thing like that? But, um, but you know, if, if you look at, say, the electoral performance of the average Conservative MP who won their seat in 2005 to 2010, he's basically right in the, the middle of the pack. Because ultimately, the thing about being a personal vote is that is called doing your job as an MP, right? There will be some people who go, oh, so-and-so, help me with this, so-and-so campaign. Right, because what uh, Jess Phillips said to me, which I thought was reasonable, and, we were, and her Birmingham constituency, she was like, I've got a really high contact rate. Like, yeah. we, this constituency office works incredibly hard. We, mm. like, we speak to, like, 70-plus percent of the constituents. You know, yeah. Like, that, that is a personal vote to some extent in the sense that people know that you exist. Yeah, I mean, but also, so to take two MPs who I think absolutely do have a personal vote... Uh, for actually quite similar reasons. Siobhan McDonough, the Labour MP for Mitcham and Morden, and Alex Shelbrook, the Conservative MP for Elmer and Rothwell. Now, the thing that their uh, local opponents will talk about in, in awe is that they're both really, they've got their offices to be really effective at, thank you for your letter, you know, thank you for this petition, here's a letter on headed paper from me, signed by the MP, where I've responded in quite a, a detailed way. And so there will be people who will say, oh, well, I'm not happy about this National Party, but I will vote for so-and-so because they've worked really hard. Now, the thing is, is if that is 3,000 people, that is a hugely impressive number of people in a constituency of 70,000 to get to forego their decision over who they would like to be prime minister. But it is hard to see, unless an election is very tight for other reasons, a lot of the time your personal vote just doesn't matter at all. I mean, in terms of... So the Brexit party stuff is really interesting, right? Because I guess because it's, it's PR, it's very different yeah. as well, right? Because he's presuming... You think Nigel Farage is going to put himself top of his own list, right? Yeah. That would be... You also do essentially have kind of like the party of, you know, like, respectable, don't worry, we, we hide the racists out back versus <laughs> the... You've got to see the people we got in this yeah. party now. Woo! Some of them aren't even, I think. Woo-hoo. Yeah, whereas, <laughs> yeah. whereas, yeah, the, whereas you've yeah. kind of got, like, sort of, yeah, the kind of the, the, the mask is not so much off, but has been ostentatiously ripped up, torn up, and gone, how do you feel about that, Libs? Um, <laughs> but the, the, the fascinating thing I think about these two Brexit parties, right, is that you know, the, the big thing that I think is unlikely to happen is... Most people who vote for UKIP do not know any of that stuff, right? It's mm-hmm. a bit like, I mean, so mm-hmm. to take a personal example, in my last set of local council elections, despite the fact that I think our mayor is very good at this, and I think uh, uh, the environment lead, uh, John Burke, is also very good on environmental issues, I voted green. I have no idea who those councillors were, those council candidates were. I just wanted to send a message about the importance of the environment to me. Now, if it, it is entirely possible, well, I think it's actually not true, but it is, of course, theoretically well, then possible. You don't care about the environment. No, then, no. Then, then <laughs> I, was about, I, was I, was, I was about to say, like, it's possible that, like, the Hackney Green Council council uh, candidate in my ward, you know, um, you know, had been going around kicking dogs, but I thought, actually, that's probably it's a slanderous. the opposite so I, <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Love dogs. But my point is, is and I'm voting solely for the party's brand. Right. And so the, the big question, I think, actually, is not so much does Nigel Farage have a personal following? But can Nigel Farage and his media allies successfully... Process- so let's say the Green Party were taken over by, you know... The dog kickers. The dog kickers. 
how, and Caroline Lucas had her own, you know, tree party. How effective would Caroline Lucas be at getting the message over in the next six mm, weeks yeah. or however many it is? Actually, the Green Party is no longer a kind of cuddly way that you say, I'm unhappy that my biosphere is on fire. Actually, now I'm the way you do that. Yeah. Of course, it's easier for Nigel Farage because he has a more sympathetic media ecosystem, but it's still a heck of a task to inform people in that short amount of time that UKIP has changed. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really interesting. And I also think it's, it reflects oddly on that decision of the artist formerly known as the Independent Group to call themselves Change UK, which is just a sort of nothing type, rather than calling themselves the Stop Brexit Party or you know whatever it happens to be, or the I mean, the thing smooth is- metropolitan... <laughs> The thing cocktail is, party and, and maybe i'm maybe i'm being unduly cynical but i think the thing is is ultimately like the the purpose of change i mean one of course the problem all new political parties have is all of the good names are taken even if they're not being used they are registered in the name of some bloke in a shed with the electoral the commission. purpose of change sounds like the ultimate new statesman leader headline yeah. <laughs> the purpose of change uh, <laughs> the new change uh the pur- the purpose uh, of change are is it you know is what it, i mean though? i could just yeah. i can almost write that leader yeah, now. yeah. Okay. is it to stop Brexit or is it to use the way that Brexit has changed voting and eventually to kind of sit there kind of punching that remain you know hitting or that or is it to upset Jeremy Corbyn to, personally to reorient politics right and I think it's the latter right it is the you know like yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. If you want to still have a party after we, if we ever leave the European Union, then you can't put. Whereas, presumably at that point, the Brexit Party mutates again into something much more. Yeah, gross you could and say the Brexit Party is also to capitalise on what they view as a new politics arising from the Brexit era as well. Yeah. But I guess their point is that they will always argue that Brexit has been betrayed, whatever form of unless it's yeah. a No Deal, right? Then there is always the argument available and that whatever then, Brexit like, we've yeah, got. Yeah, but no even then, when Brexit. No Deal causes chaos, it will be the fault of incompetently implemented. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but they, it'll become the real Brexit Party at yeah. that point, right? Okay, that was good. Uh, so you went, you hang me, you've been up north as well. Yeah, I've been to Hartlepool as well, where they're electing a third of their council, and that was interesting for different reasons because there's a lot of you know where these places where you have sort of a one-party state for ages like in wales stephen was talking about it people will bring up the council of their own accord which you know in a constituency like where i grew up in ealing people didn't really know their councillors it wasn't like a huge deal but in places where they've got these sort of councils that have been in power for so long have never changed party people are really unsatisfied with the way that their town's being run and they actually blame local government for that rather than just being like, oh, you know, I hate this government or I hate the Tories, even though it's a Labour constituency. Um, And so actually the big dissent there was from the local Labour Party. They want to oust the current Labour leadership and replace it with their own. And it's not not a momentum thing, as you might imagine, you know, in the style of Haringey. It's actually just sort of like the local Fabians decided that they have a better economic model for, for their town. So it's sort of a geeky coup or at least an attempted geeky coup. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there because it could be the next sort of, you know, the Preston model where they, they've used new procurement practices. Insourcing, in outsourcing, round sourcing. Yeah. Some, some sourcing is happening, right? So this is the idea that one of the reasons that the kind of, that for that Eurosceptic fringe that happens in the kind of around John McDonnell is this idea that actually without European rules, you can do much more with, procure, like you can direct yeah. procurement much but more. But the funny thing is that the people broadly. who are actually involved in all of this stuff just 
do not buy that it's Corbynomics because it's been going for so long. 15 years they've been doing it. And um, like I've speak, spoken to people on Manchester Council, which also does this kind of Preston model stuff. And they were like, Preston model, you know, we've been doing it for over a decade. Even people in the Hartlepool local Labour Party who were sympathetic towards Jeremy Corbyn were like, it's not really got anything to do with him. John McDonnell has sort of, is riding on the coattails of it and branding yeah. it, branding it in a way that means that people think that it's a cool sort of new Corbynite thing. thing. Why not? You know, hmm. why not? You know, attach yourself to policies that you agree with. That's fine. Imagine, remember but that was remember policies, Stephen. Remember yeah. policies. Policies, policies. I mean, bring back policies. Yeah. There's so much interesting stuff going on that's just not being reported on anymore. Yeah, I mean, although I am enjoying this new world where we kind of have, now the, the Conservative leadership race is properly Yeah, happening. they're now announcing all of yeah. this. Yeah, <laughs> where you have government ministers saying maybe we should consider doing X. And it's just like... You could do that <laughs> in your role as yeah. a government minister. Can we have a quick trot, just because it'll amuse me through the Conservative leadership candidates? Um, I mean, I'm not sure we've got that kind of time. There are <laughs> basically 320 candidates. I just want to laugh candidates. at Sajid Javid, really, and his bizarre attempts. To, you, you, let, you know what people loved about Theresa May? Her incredible authoritarianism? What if I did a sort of weird tribute act to that while also implying that I'm well gangster? That's very odd, isn't it? So what I thought was interesting is, I mean, I basically agree that we should have a public health approach to knife crime. I'm thinking more of the Shamima Begum stuff. Yeah, yeah, I think so. The the slight weirdness of attaching that to this kind of like, I'm big and tough and I'm going to take away the citizenship of whoever I damn well please... I mean, so what I find distasteful about it is depriving someone's citizenship in a way that he obviously should not be doing. But what I find bizarre about it is I don't think it even makes sense from a political positioning perspective because he's ultimately going to fail to do so. So it literally is just someone standing up and shouting... Right, Theresa May did manage to deport Abu Hamza. That was a crucial part of the Theresa May brand. It was not that she had a right good go at it. it was that actually that was a thing that she could mark off as mm-hmm. an achievement. Yes, at the end, Abu Hamza has, had been deported, right? Whereas, ultimately, standing up and going, she has legal aid. I'm totally impotent, by the way. I am semi-liable for the fact that a, a child, through no fault of its own, died in a refugee camp. Yeah, it I just is... don't think that's the kind of hard man thing that you really yeah. wanted to get. Didn't it's always... he send the... Do you remember the jihadi beetles or whatever they were called? Didn't he send them to America without the assurances that they wouldn't be given the death penalty? There was talk about that, about whether or not they would ago. waive that. Because, yeah, yeah. one of the extradition things is you should, yeah, we shouldn't extradite people for crimes in which the death yeah. penalty is so he's option. clearly not shy about sort of tearing up the rules of British foreign policy to sort of appeal to tabloid... Um, yeah, but anyway, I just, that was all. I just really wanted to stray into a bit of... Also, the Saj. I mean, this is what I'm loving about them, is there's kind of, kind of sort of weird self-nicknaming thing. I, I like Steve Baker's hard man of Brexit thing. Just I mean, brilliant. I, I'm not sure if the Saj thing wasn't wasn't dirty tricks on the part of his opponents. But, I mean, I think he is pretty stuffed, right? Because there's really there's only space for one kind of sort of candidate of the establishment, as it were, and Jeremy Hunt, I think, has that pretty locked up. And I think it's un- hard to see how he'll be dislodged because... If you're at the Foreign Office, no one cares about you. You're not doing Brexit. Uh, also, you look serious and grown-up, and people. it's a time in which Theresa May's whole pitch was, I'm serious, I'm a grown-up. Come on, we can't be dicking about it now. You need somebody who actually knows what they're talking about. Yeah. And even among people who might have naturally gravitated towards Andrea Leadsom, that catastrophic interview, not so much what she said, but the fact that she said it just made a lot of people go, ooh, she's not break- baked yet. Yeah, although I think she actually probably could have a fairly successful second coming. Which, I mean, actually, as leader of the house, I'm quite enjoying. Like, I just think there's a kind of great buddy movie slash odd rom com between her and John Burko and the way that they sort of just 
clearly clearly hate each other you know what i mean it's got a kind of taming of the shrew kind of vibe about it <laughs> which one is the shrew no, both of them are the shrew in different um. ways but no but this idea that they you know like they're kind of oh friction 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 between you two guys what's that all about but yeah she's had done a proper job and kind of got on with it which in, in the intervening time and also in in many ways the conservative leadership election is a bit like black hole well a bit like black holes before we successfully took a photo of them right in the we have a theory based on the bits of space time we can observe that black holes exist and we have a theory about the Tory party, which is essentially uh, there is a candidate of the establishment who will get to the who is guaranteed to get to the final runoff. There is a candidate of pure Brexit called Dominic Raab slash Boris Johnson, who ought to get to the final runoff round. But then there is also a force within the Conservative Party called my right arm will fall out, I will walk over broken glass to stop Boris Johnson being Prime Minister. And we assume that rather like mass creates black holes, right, we assume that this stop Boris force will create another candidate somewhere. But until we observe this, and then this candidate will ultimately win, but until we observe this phenomena in the real universe, they are, rather like black holes till last week, merely a theory about mm, it's time. a bit like everyone not wanting no deal, but no one actually having an, a, a majority for an alternative to no deal. That was a much less convoluted analogy <laughs> than the one I meant use, but yes, yes, it is. I have to say, the best thing about that whole black hole story is that you look at a picture of it and you go, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. But, you know, I'm sure it's real. I'm not doubting it. Apparently, you know, all the lines of code are brilliant and everything. But you just go, it could just be... I mean, it was a blob. I mean, have you ever taken a photo of an object <laughs> whose heavy is ma- is mass is so strong light can't escape it? Well, I might have done without knowing. Mm. <laughs> Deep. No, I mean, yes. I, no, it's a very impressive piece. And also, classically, came from lots and lots of different scientists. A bit like the Conservative leader part, Leadership Party, right? Is that actually it was all attributed to one person, but it was many. They had the work of many hands. Yeah, that was a very long but um, hopefully educational look at the European and Council elections. Thanks for joining us, Anoush, in the Thanks for having me. podcast catacomb. We're going to put Stephen back into his fur-lined box now for, uh, for recess. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And now for a section we like to call You Ask Us for recommendations of things to do at recess. Brackets. Anoush, name one thing that people should use the lack of Brexit-related news that, that creates headspace for them. Like, what do, what should you channel that all okay, into? Okay, a thing that I've become obsessed with, and this sounds like I'm advertising it, which I've got I've got nothing to do Is with it. Is it a mattress? It's called, Is it a razor? It's called Our Parks. <laughs> And it's free gym classes in parks and it's so good and it's council run and you can just go and you don't need to commit. You just 
go when you're free and it's like yoga and boot camp and all sorts of different things depending on what you're just interested in london in. or in i think it's just in london no that's good people are going to write in very cross yeah about but i'm sure yeah, that i'm, I'm sure that passes, the so person who runs it does do other stuff <laughs> yeah anyway whatever yeah. that's what i've been doing and i think it's great and they're going to pull the funding otherwise so i think everyone should start doing it it's called our, our parks and our you can parks. get it, you can get it on an app and like the people who do it are proper gym instructors who work in actual classes where you have to pay when I go and do my boxing on a Saturday morning, there is an, a whole group of people doing Nordic walking in our local park, which is completely flat. They do free boxing, boxer size. Box fit, it's called. Box fresh. Box fresh. <laughs> That's what I so do. So just stop paying and do it for free. Yeah, okay. Uh, Stephen, what would you like to recommend? So the other, so actually, this is also a London thing, but... <laughs> Well, so the two things I'm doing are, yeah. one, I'm sadly not doing that this month because our um, dungeon master is away. <laughs> uh, but D&D is actually really good fun. Everyone should do it. Like, it's a great team building exercise. I just can't I've hear never the word played dungeon master without it. laughing. I, I honestly think that we ought to do it one time. We ought to do it and record it on the podcast and we'd learn a lot. No, that would be terrible and self-indulgent. <laughs> I mean, don't but, you think it would last about four or five hours? But it would. It flies <laughs> by. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> the silent India crying in the corner. <laughs> the, the other thing I am very much doing and enjoying is being able to cook food myself rather than having to eat in Parliament for lunch and dinner with Are my... you like vegan now? I saw. I heard a reference to a vegan pie, which I let go. But I'm not. You know, I mean, I, I I'm not like a vegan vegan, right? I don't care about individual animal welfare. <laughs> and you can write in to Stephen. <laughs> you know, uh, I actively like, loathe cows. He's <laughs> you know, I mean, like, you know, I'm not for excessive cruelty, right? But I, I I solely care about it from an environmental perspective. And from an environmental perspective, you can you can have a little bit of beef and the odd bit of chicken and you know, and so I'm basically I'm a, a vegan for you only home posh purposes. Meat. Yeah, and then I only really classy meat or when I'm in Parliament I eat whatever one of the available options is the least unappetizing. But yeah, so I'm I'm I mostly eat um eat, yeah, I, I don't really eat very much meat because I'm I'm good cookbooks, a, cookbook recommendations. Good cookbooks. Anna Jones, three brilliant cookbooks, very easy to follow. Please um, don't tell um, me you have that new one that's gone viral, which is called, and I can't believe I'm saying these words out loud, A Pinch of Nom. Oh, no. 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 no that's uh, awful. I'm, no, one, I'm against, against, like saying holly bobs. It I'm, just makes me I'm cry. against what I like about, I mean, the many things I like about Anna Jones. Very good index, very lovely photos, very easy to follow the recipes. But also, they're just called things like A Modern Cook's Year, A Modern Way to Eat. There's none of this kind of like, you know, like. Drizzle, flashbang. Yeah, the full bowl, or you know, it's just <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, they're they're really good, really easy to follow. And I think her best recipe is actually the beetroot bay bourgeois, which honestly, it's so it's actually a so much quicker than than one with beef, and it's so good. Beef bourguignon. Yeah. With beetroot. Yeah, it's really really good. That sounds great. Wow, that sounds healthy. I'm going to recommend two things. The first is Far Cry New Dawn, which is really cheeky, really, because Far Cry Five happens in basically somewhere like Montana, uh, which has been taken over by a kind of doomsday cult of Christian fundamentalists, and you have to slaughter them. Which I is... thought Far Cry was about dinosaurs. That's Far Cry Primal, which is the previous one, which right. takes place in prehistory and you only get to use a bow and stuff like that which is very fun and i enjoyed that and i killed many prehistoric creatures but that's fine there were loads of them but then what they've done is they've done it so that this is the same map but like after an apocalypse but i just find it very soothing you can snipe people from a really long way away 
and I, I think of all the computer games that I played recently, the Far Cry series is just the most straightforward fun. Like I love, you know, we had this conversation. I love The Witcher. I love story, but they don't really muck about with story. There's some cobblers taking place in the background, but really, it's just about capturing the outposts. Everything lovely. And my other one is uh, the TV series Patrick Melrose, which was on Sky. Available through Now TV as well. Stars Benedict Cumberbatch in an excellent performance from him based on the novels, the memoirs by Edward St. Auburn, five of them. David Nichols, who wrote One Day and Us, did the adaptation. It is just such a beautiful TV adaptation. Like Everything is so lyrical and so low-key and shot so beautifully. You've got great music in it as well and great performance. Hugo Weaving as his dad is... I thought If you thought Agent Smith was a bad man, then his dad is so much worse. And it's the first piece of TV for a while I've just thought I could watch any amount of it. I'm really sad that it's over. Mm. I mean, I'm, there's only one episode left to go on Star Trek Discovery, the second series. And I'll be honest with you, I have absolutely no clue anymore what's going on. But I'm quite enjoying that too. Do you have any TV? Any TV? So I've been... For truly terrible TV, I've been really into this programme that they play on Sunday night. You know when you're in that, that zone on Sunday night where, you, where you're not having any thoughts. You're just like sitting there and you're empty. Yeah. It's called Escape to the Chateau. <laughs> and it's Go this, on. It's this couple who just, they bought this chateau for the price of a, price of a two bedroom London flat in France and they are doing it up and every episode they're just doing something more hideous to the chateau like decoupaging the walls and stuff oh I love that it's so good because they have such bad taste and it's just it is a joy to watch like people destroy a really beautiful chateau And also the so funny thing is, it's really Brexit. good Brexit TV yeah. because they, they hate the like French state and all of their red tape and the, and the French builders who come and do stuff. And they actually, <laughs> they hire their mates from Britain to come and do the jobs on the, on the chateau. It's great. Wow. I know I haven't really sold it, but... I no, really, you have no, really, no, you really sold it. very funny. Yeah. I mean, it's not supposed to be funny. It's supposed to be aspirational, but, yeah. you know. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Helen Lewis, and my co-host, Stephen Bush. We're recorded by India Bork, who is off. If you have tears, prepare to cry them now. She's going for a life of excitement in Hong Kong. So thank you hugely to India, who has been the silent presence behind many of our best and worst podcast moments. And we are produced by Nick Hilton, and our theme music is by the Underscore Orchestra, licensed under Creative Commons. Creative Commons.